Hello, I'm Charlotte Watts. Welcome to these podcasts that were first broadcast live in my Facebook group, Charlotte Watts Calm. Hope you enjoy them. And if you want more, please look at my website, charlottewattshealth.com. Hello, welcome to this Facebook Live. If you're watching this now, say hello. If you're watching this later, please do also say hello. And I'm glad to get comments and questions live and for any time you might be watching this. So if anything comes up for you, please feel free to just uh, send anything through. And we're going to start today and talk about the issue of snacking or not snacking tends to be a bit of a minefield for many people because a lot of advice that is given nutritionally for people can often be via gyms or personal trainers. And I'm not kind of denigrating the work these people do, but it can be sometimes that nutritional knowledge is just a kind of quite a blanket level. And over the last, I don't know, a few decades or whatever, in terms of the emphasizing blood sugar for energy, for weight loss, etc. Then there's been quite a bit of a message of eating little and often to balance blood sugar. Now that's also uh, coincided with a rise in a massive billion-dollar snack industry, which you may or may not have noticed happening in a high street near you. And many of these snacks are marketed as, deemed as, healthy, natural. So what could possibly be wrong with them? And for those of us who are often justifying the fact that we just simply want something at a time, then that can be quite a good pull. So I want to talk about what a snack really is to start. So we really get a kind of an idea of what it is that we're talking about. And a snack is something that is that we might have a smaller portion of something outside of the remit of a usual meal. So yes, we do tend to have breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, we designate our meals, but you know, often if, and I do encourage people to do this, that if they're really following the a rhythm with their own body, with what really satisfies you, um, it might be that those meals are eaten at less strict kind of timings that are set uh, in the usual breakfast, lunch and dinner times. So really when I'm talking about a meal, it's something that we sit down and we have and it has a full complement of the things that we need to fully nourish us. It's not something that we might kind of take in passing. It's probably, you know, at least about two fistfuls and we feel fully sated afterwards. There's a sense of absolute satisfaction. A snack rather is something that is kind of taken in between. It's seen as something that uh, fuels us in between mealtimes. And this is where it starts to get a bit of into a bit of murky territory because the idea that we need to be eating for more than you know three or four hours, that we couldn't possibly go three or four hours without stuffing something back into our faces, is a, a little bit worrying. And what it does is it keeps us in a bit of a kind of oral gratification state where we like to keep putting things into our mouth. And let's face it, many of us like that. And I will kind of I'll come back to why we like that in a minute. But this idea of 
not being able to sustain ourselves and having lots of messages where we're told that if we don't have those snacks, then we could just kind of plummet down isn't strictly what we want to be kind of heading towards in a sense of feeling nourished and satisfied. So when I work with people, particularly maybe they do have imbalanced blood sugar levels, they do feel kind of highs and lows throughout the day. If they don't eat, quite often they might feel quite irritable or that they might have um, headaches or dizziness or any of those things that we could, that were really kind of a, quite an individual expression of having a bit of a, a low a low drop. Then working with those people, often we do need to really put in snacks in order to preempt that. But that little and often that idea that we just kind of continually put something in, I'd like to shy away from. And essentially, I'm trying to move people towards a sense that they really get an idea of what satisfies them and choosing the content of their meals in ways that means that they're not constantly in seeking mode. Because one of the benchmarks of snacking is that it is what are we looking out for next? What don't we have? What is it that we feel we need to satisfy in terms of a sugar hit, it might be. It might be that we have that habit of raising blood sugar from refined sugars or caffeine or getting into the stress response for other people. But we might have gone to that habit where it is about quick fixes of sugar because we haven't balanced blood sugar enough that we can't have that sustenance three or four hours in between. The other thing we might like, the reason we might like to put things in our mouth is oral gratification putting things into our mouth, feeling there's something to do, something for like sense of senses to be taken up by. So particularly we've got a lot of ruminations going on, a lot of stuff, worries going around in the head. It really can feel soothing to put something in our mouths. And that is partly the act of putting it in our mouths and chewing, which creates a lot of movement around the jaw and can be quite soothing and get kind of the, the vagus nerve, our soothing nerve all the way down into our body, gives us a feeling of grounding. And it can be that we get a rush from the very content of the food, be that if we've got some kind of slightly feeling that we've got quite agitated brain chemistry, then we can feel soothed by fats. And um, it's part of the reasons that I recommend healthy fats in the place often of sugars, because they do give us a sense of soothing and satisfaction without setting off those blood sugar loops. And also the act of touching our mouths is soothing. So touching our mouths, again, innovates. It provokes a vagal tone response, a vagus nerve response. So it's often the reason that people touch their mouths and they're nervous or they put on lip seal a lot or they chew things is that this is a very soothing place to be. And that can then follow on into what we put in our mouths. So if I'm kind of moving us towards trying to have meals when we can and a well-ordered snack occasionally, then kind of what is the reason behind that? And one of the things is that when we are continually putting things into our mouths, then they need digesting. And when you consider that the digestive process from mouth to anus in its entirety takes around 30 to 40 hours, it's a highly energy rich process. If we are starting that from the beginning, every time that we put something into our mouths, then 
you can imagine you're putting that on top of a chain. So there's stuff going down that was already put in before and it's going through the process. And at no time are we giving our digestion a rest. At no time are we allowing it to just deal with the stuff that we've already put in there. And what that also means is there's little time for the digestive wall, the, the gut wall, to actually be free of food, to be able to get on with a lot of the immune components it needs, the gut healing it needs, and really clearing stuff out. And when, as a lot of people snack on the run, so either standing up, walking, doing stuff, but let's say not sitting down fully mindfully, then if you're standing up or you're moving around, then energy is diverted away from digestion immediately into the muscles, postural muscles, even if you're just standing, great big thigh muscles that hold us up. Now, if you're doing something more active, like walking along and eating something, then there's really no chance that, you know, that that digestion, that that energy, oxygen, nutrients are going to the digestive tract to help you doing that. But if you're sitting down and doing stuff, so you're eating a snack, say, in front of a lot of emails or something that's coming in that is even just kind of ruminating or watching something that has quite a, you know, a stimulating response, then that going anywhere near the stress response, first, one of the first things that happens is digestion is dampened. So digestion is set off by the parasympathetic nervous system, the calming tone of the nervous system. So that's often called the rest and digest tone of the nervous system. When we move into anything that is more excitatory, so it could be near to the fight or flight response or just excitatory in the body, then that digestive capacity is dampened in the digestion. And that means several things. So for some people that can mean heartburn, where there's lowered stomach acid and the food that's in the stomach isn't able to be fully broken down enough to fully go into the small intestine. And often that means that it comes back up as reflex. That's not often too much acid, but it can be too little acid. Often that means that you might find kind of bloating or gas upwards, downwards. And even particularly that gas is quite smelly. It might be kind of a putrefaction, food hanging around and not having a full chance to be fully digested. So the more that we can give our digestion a rest in between meals, the more we can have a healthy digestive tract. And actually, when we do put food in, then it becomes optimally digested. Now, that giving our digestion a rest also gives our brains a rest. And a lot of this is used to being with feeling hungry. So we're quite used to feeling strong sensations and maybe mollifying them, maybe dampening them down. I feel hungry, therefore I eat is the example here. But I feel hungry but it could be starts to be a question. Am I hungry? Do I just want stuff? Am I in seeking mode? I ate a decent lunch. So actually, you know, I have enough sustenance here to keep me going. So what is it that I'm feeling? Or maybe actually when I have a more sustaining breakfast or more sustaining lunch, then I don't feel this seeking. It starts to become a bit more of an exploration. So that kind of I'm hungry, I want stuff, 
we can intercept that bit between the initial impulse and maybe the put back in again. Now, of course, that's difficult when we're in, in the supermarket, in a shop, we're in an office, there's stuff around. And then it becomes sometimes a bit of a, a will or part of willpower to not have this stuff all the time. So again, it's back to the stuff I mentioned in the, the video last week, the resisting sugar cravings video. Often that is really plugging back into how we feel and what it is that long term we find motivating about not doing this. So giving ourselves a rest in between meals can mean that we notice our digestion feels more free. Maybe we feel less sluggish. Maybe we start to unravel some of those seeking impulses. It's very natural we do that, particularly if we're feeling bored or we're feeling unsupported or we've got stressful stuff going on. It's very part of our culture now to seek stuff to soothe ourselves. And sometimes that's putting sugar in and sometimes that's going on eBay. But watching these habits is a really important part of just noticing that we make space between them. So a statistic that I mentioned in the snacks section of The De-Stress Effect, my last book, was that there's a statistic that rose from, I think it was the 60s, 70s, that the number of times people were eating in a day back then was 38 separate times a day, putting something into their mouths. And more recently, so into the 21st century, it's gone up to 4.9 times a day. And I feel, you know, this is, the statistics are fairly old. I'm, I feel that given the way the snack industry is going, I think that I feel that, that has risen. Most people I speak to, we chart how many times they're putting stuff new into their mouths. It's, it's probably often more than 4.9. So let's round that up to five. But one of the points here is that, yes, we would like to ideally be setting our, satisfying ourselves with meals. But the way modern life is set up is often that breakfast, lunch and dinner are quite set up for us. Those timings might be set by work. They might be set by things we have to do with kids, with travel, with commuting, with what we can get our hands on at any point. So we need to be realistic and put this within the context of our lives. So. An example of this, and, and when I work with people, is that often, say, they might be having lunch at a set time at work, and then there's a the afternoon, and then there's the getting home, and then there's the having energy for dinner. So a well-placed snack, and often about 4 p.m., that time where we can get that, that natural sugar dip, that natural point where the adrenals, if they're a little tired, may suffer and you may feel you really are craving something sweet or, uh, you know, whatever it is that makes you feel energized at that point. It might even be caffeine, for instance. A well-placed snack to preempt that time where you feel the dip and you might choose something that you'd maybe prefer not to. Or if you don't have it, you tend to snack more later and then, then dinner becomes maybe a less conscious affair or you don't end up eating again the things that you plan to eat and just kind of plowing stuff as soon as you get in. A well-placed snack around four o'clock or some people have a snack like a kind of starter for dinner and then are making dinner in a way that doesn't feel they're really anxious for food and start just plowing stuff in. So really working out well-timed snacks so that it's something that you are conscious of and not just at the behest of advertising or what we see available really starts to free us up from getting that sense of seeking and 
comforting, seeking and comforting. And something that I make clear in the book again is this idea of watching our snacks as habits or treats. So a habit is something we have very regularly has a rhythm to it. And that might not be daily, but it might be something like three days. So often we the three day habit kind of goes under the radar because we um, it's long enough that we can kind of not put it into a, a daily cycle, if you like. But it might be something that if we don't have, say, for instance, some sugar every three days, then it comes a bit of a pull. And watching a habit that one of the definitions of a habit is whether we can do without it or not. So a treat is something that we can have, but if we don't have it, we kind of feel the same. A habit is something that we, once we're with it, we feel normal with it. There's normalization involved, which is one of the benchmarks of addiction as well. So a treat, for the instance, you might go to the shop and the thing you really wanted as a treat might not be there. And the question then is, can you walk away? If not, and you just end up having anything at all instead, it might be that you're feeding a habit. So it's really worth looking at those cycles we have and those habits and just examining those and seeing how we might feel without them. So I would go back to that disidentification that, again, that I mentioned in the resisting sugar cravings, this idea that we can be with the feelings of a craving and see it as something other than us. And quite frankly, if you can lessen snacks in your life and feel space between meals, it's very liberating. We're not having that seeking all the time. We don't necessarily feel that we have to be carrying stuff around and we can get a real, a really kind of healthy and conscious attitude and relationship with our appetite and our signals around food. Okay, so I'm going to finish that there, mainly because if any of you have any questions coming up, I can't see them here. So what I'm going to do is finish that there. And then actually um, what I will do is look onto my website where I can see it, just see if any of you put any questions up. So if I can answer them here, I will do. 